Hello and welcome to the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host Dave Kale, and I'm here as always with that guy from the IGN video. You know him. <laughs> that, that guy, of course, is Corey Olson. Uh, if you haven't seen his, if you haven't seen his IGN video, more importantly, if you haven't read the comments on it, I recommend you pause this. If you're not watching it live, pause this, go do that first, then come back. Yeah, don't stop watching live. That's right, yeah, don't watch stop live. watching live. Uh, but, but, you know, glance, maybe open a second tab, glance at the comments, and then and then maybe you can share similar comments with us about this. About Similarly this, constructive uh, comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, so, no, we're not going to talk about um, internet hate. Uh, or um, or even about the Amazon Lord of the Rings show that nope. uh, provoked all the internet hate. Rather, we're going to talk about a fictitious show, our of our own construction imagination, um, uh, The Silmarillion, which is going to run for 40 seasons. We're about um, less than a tenth of the way through. <laughs> yes. Well, no, I guess we're a little. We're, we're in season five, so technically we're. In this is six. This is six. We're like. Oh yeah, you're right. Like, season six. Oh my god, I can't even keep track. We're like so already thirteen percent of the way through our forty-year yes, right. run. I mean, this is yes. this is yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, we are uh, we're joined by the um, our our chief antagonist in this um, endeavor. The, the the head writers of our uh, Silmarillion Film Project writers room, Nick and Marie, the people that we we squabble with over um, over minor details <laughs> and fights about major plot uh, uh, points. Uh, Not and nearly as much as we squabble amongst ourselves. That's true. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And we're we appear to be joined by uh, a special guest tonight, Nick. That's right. That's right. This is uh, a very special and yes. uh, rather uh, small-scale guest there, <laughs> who, is, <laughs> who is currently sleeping very determinedly on Nick's death. Yes. Congratulations, by the way. Thank to you yes, very much. Family. Thank um, you. Mom's doing well? Mom's doing great. Uh, she okay. is healing up very well. She's resting right now, which is which is why I have a Killian. Right. Um, but uh, he's he seems very comfortable. So, yeah, he's he's uh, he's uh, uh, clearly in place there. Uh, and big sister's doing 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 what she's you know adjusting. Yeah, yeah. Nessa is um, she ranges from excited to ambivalent, and so like, um, but there's no like there hasn't been any resentment or any of the stuff that you that you read about or hear about. <laughs> right. um, she she enjoys helping uh she enjoys getting stuff uh for his care and occasionally uh, uh picking up a a missing pacifier or or two <laughs> yeah, along the way excellent service yeah yes it's especially great because she's at the perfect height to uh to retrieve <laughs> things like that while you are right. also carrying a baby so right right that's very handy that's excellent excellent very cool um so uh, I'm um, I'm excited to get back into discussions today. It's funny, you know, uh, especially since I started the Other Minds and Hands broadcast on Wednesday afternoons. I find, of course, I'm thinking about adaptation. I'm talking about film film 
more all the time. Like I keep talking about Selmfil uh, because uh, you know all of, you know so many of the things that we want to talk about about it are things that like we've confronted and we've dealt with. Like we were just yesterday on Other Minds and Hands talking about the time compression, the Numenor time compression in the Rings of Power. Um, and so you know we were discussing that. I'm like, oh man, like yeah, we did the whole like time compression trauma last season, you know, and, and we were, you know, we're talking about the, the challenges of trying to create a story with elves and humans who just keep dying off all the time. And how do you, you know, keep characters alive for long enough to uh, have some character development while your elves are still moving forward. And um, anyway, it's, it's, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's been fun. Uh, every time now I'm coming back to the Silmarillion film project, it's, uh, uh, it's great to, kind of in the middle of the context of all this uh, adaptation work that uh, we've been talking about. It's been, it's been really cool. So um, we have some really cool stuff to talk about today as we're going to be moving into basically like the second quadrant of the show. We were figuring out, um, we're kind of doing the overview now, ironing things together, how the uh, overall shape of the season is going to go. And then we'll come back into looking at uh, specific episodes when uh, we have some uh, uh, scripts and things to look at too, which will be great. But in the meantime, we still have lots of things to iron out uh, in the whole season. So we've got some really important big questions here uh, that say thing, you know, things like, "What's the treehouse like that Luthien escapes from? How are we going to do that on screen?" Um, and um, uh, and uh, and. I hope we were go- we're going to finally tackle. I've uh, um, put off several times. We've almost a couple times. We've almost gotten to the question of Dairon and what happens with Dairon and what's Dairon's story going to be. Um, and I think it's. Uh, I'm really looking forward to finally tackling that uh, tonight uh, and seeing if we can make some decisions and do some fun things uh, with Dairon's character, other than just have him vanish, which I've always found. Um, I've always wished for more uh, from the Dairon story, so that'll be fun to think about. Um, first, some quick announcements. We have uh, moots coming up, some soon, some less soon. So we've got Myth Moot uh, is happening this year in June. Um, the propose- the most important thing here is that the proposal deadline, so if you want to propose a paper or a session of some sort, uh, that's tomorrow, March 25th, um, a date that some might note. Um, uh, is uh, the day on which it's the deadline for a pro- so through the end of the day tomorrow March 25th uh, to propose a session for Myth Moot um, which will be in the um, vicinity of Leesburg, Virginia. So we're having some issues in uh, with the uh, with our venue. It's been actually it's been really cool. So. Um, Brief story: uh, We uh, the our normal venue, the National Conference Center, um, is being dedicated to housing a whole bunch of refugees from Afghanistan, children. So there's like thousands of Afghanistan children are going to be uh, there in the National Conference Center where we normally do our conference. Um, and I, the main thing that you know, Signum folks have all been saying as soon as we hear about this is like. Oh man, that's a perfect place. That's such an awesome place for refugees. Like the place is enormous for one thing. You can fit thousands of people there, um, and uh, uh, you know, easy to feed them and easy to. Oh, I mean, it's it's, it's going to be cool. So we're really happy that that's happening. Um, it means that we're be- being moved to somewhere else. We're in the final stages of a you know 
deciding which place we're going to be shifted to. And the National Conference Center has been awesome. They've been really great uh, in helping us to sort that out. Um, so we don't actually know exactly where it's going to be. But everything is everything will be like from um, apart from the fact that you'll be putting in a slightly different address into your GPS on, you know, the day of June 23rd. Um, it's going to be basically the same. The, all, everything else is going to be the same as far as like pricing and, and rooms and everything else. So um, there won't be much disruption, but it will be um, it will be it will be interesting. Um, OK, uh, the other thing, the other two moots that are coming up very soon is text moot, which is happening in two days. I'll be I'm flying out um, uh, to um, uh, go to Austin, Texas tomorrow. Um, so that's going to be very cool. Still time to sign up if you want to participate in TextMoot digitally. Uh, in fact, you can still come in person if you if you would like to get yourself down to Austin in the next 48 hours. You can do that. Um, or Sunshine Moot down in Orlando, Florida. Well, n- not exactly in the middle of Orlando, Florida, but right near Orlando, Florida on April 2nd. Um, so both of those are going to be really fun times so looking forward to seeing folks again. These are our first spring moots. Um, uh, and we have, I have great hopes that we're going to be able to add a third spring moot, um, which will be Buckeye moot in Ohio, which is going to happen probably in May. So, um, uh, we'll be excited to do that too, but text moot and sunshine moot are definite. And I guess, so for both of them, you can sign up and don't forget that if you sign up to attend the moots digitally, you also get access to recordings of the whole thing. So if you can't be there for the whole day, you can get recordings of the sessions, uh, for, to watch later on. Um, I've mentioned other minds and hands, which happens at Wednesdays at 4 uh, PM are discussions of various issues of adaptation. Um, and, um, uh, that's been um, some really fun discussions. And of course, our space program. Our space program is growing by leaps and bounds, and we have uh, the biggest, our biggest month ever coming up in April, uh, and some really, really cool new stuff that's uh, uh, out there for May as well. Uh, like you can start. Uh, we're doing a Klingon language series. If you want to learn Klingon, we're doing um, uh, a, a module on um, constructed languages. Uh, we're doing a module on um, uh, pity in the Lord of the Rings. This is a, a Tom Hillman teaching a, a, a module on on the role of pity in the Lord of the Rings. Um, should be should be really awesome uh, stuff coming up here. So um, take a look at that. SignumUniversity.org slash space to see all the fun upcoming things. All right. Now, back to I'm not going to I'm not going to stare at the map of Beleriand. Okay, yes, I am. Um, Okay, I'm done staring at the map of Beleriand. Um, Let's talk about the treehouse. So I have a visual aid uh, behind me, right? This is my background here is the Ted Naismith. version of Luthien Escapes from the Treehouse. And this is a fascinating example. The Escape from the Treehouse is a fascinating example of one of the differences between writing a book and producing a screen adaptation of something, right? Um, Tolkien says that Luthien was confined to this treehouse, right? Um, but he doesn't say, he doesn't describe it. 
He doesn't tell, he, you know, as so often happens with Tolkien, he gives us very few descriptive details, right? So you can say that kind of thing um, and make her escape dramatic in the story. Um, but when it comes to actually making the decisions that have to be made to show it. So l- looking for a second at what Ted Naismith has done here, right? He has a little flat up in the tree, right? Um, with the little tree house on it. And, okay, it's a bit of a drop, right? It looks like it's, what, maybe 30, 40 feet off the ground, something like that, right? So you might um, you might twist an ankle or something getting down from that. Um, you know, like, so we're going to put you up in a 40-foot tree house and then we're going to take the ladder away, young lady, and you will not be able to climb down. I, that It's not real satisfying, right? Especially given what we're going to be showing about Luthien, right? Um, how, how can we do this? How can we have her imprisoned by her father without... Okay, so there's... Um, uh, no, so, uh, uh, yeah, I, Steve, I think that she, I think she's in the foreground here. So that's yes. her height is not an indication of where she's, I think, cause if you look at the, like up right there, you can see the roof, right? Yes. So it's, it's like, that's about elf high, presumably. Um, so that's what I was gauging the distance. But anyway, the point is this does not exactly look like maximum security. Okay. Um, it's a beautiful picture, but it doesn't really, it doesn't. And so, so we have to think about what are the implications here, right? What are the implications? If we, if we make it look too much like a, if, if we say, okay, we, we need to make the prison intense, right? So that the prison can absolutely hold her in and it's really hard to escape. This is her dad, right? I mean, he's not going to put her into some kind of manacles or something like he's not going to put her into that sort of lockdown. So we have to, we have to make sure that it's consistent with what we want to show of Thingol's character, right? Not to mention millions. I mean, I doubt she's going to stand for that necessarily. Right. Um, and then we have, um, we, but at the same time, we don't want to minimize, we, we want to make sure this is the first first, second time we're really seeing Luthien exert her power, right? In in this season, I mean. In this season, I mean. The Tenuvial Tenuvial scene isn't exactly an instance of her unleashing her power, right? But she does here. Her escape from the treehouse is the first time we see her deliberately set out to use her power in order to accomplish a thing, right? And so therefore it needs to be, you know, it it can't just be I sneaked out the back door and nobody saw me go, right? Um, mm-hmm. So what do we, what do we, how do we combine all of these things here? How do we make this something that's going to fit with Thingol's character? So now let's back up a second and say, um, I said we have to be careful about what we say about Thingol's character. What are we trying to say about Thingol's character? What does this show us about Thingol? He's wanting, his goal is to protect her, right? He is afraid. What, he's in conflict with her because 
he does not trust her to do what is right for herself, right? He doesn't trust her to not go chasing after um, Baron, whom he has cunningly sent to his death, right? And so he's trying to protect Luthien from the... He certainly doesn't want Luthien to share Baron's fate because he's just tried to arrange Baron to have quite an unpleasant fate, right? And so he wants to keep her from joining him in that. Um, And he thinks that she's... um, uh, that she's not going to be... She wouldn't be safe if she went out chasing him, even if she didn't share his ultimate fate, right? Um, so he's just trying to keep her... But he knows he can't convince her. How do we do this sequence, by the way? Do we have a whole sequence leading up where she's like, I'm going to go after Baron, and he's like, no, you're not, young lady, and she's like, no, really, I am, and he's like, well, then I'm locking you in a treehouse. Like, do we, do we have that kind of conversation with... Thingle and her? Do we just kind of open um, episode four? I mean, I don't. We don't. We don't have to decide the whole. I mean, I, this is what you guys do uh, in the script room. I'm not saying we have to do the whole thing scene by scene, but um, again, I'm just trying to think of the work that we do for Thingle's character, the position that we put him in here. Yeah, I don't think we can just open the episode with her already imprisoned in the tree. Um, right. So I, I do think we need to show how that happened. Right. And therefore, we're going to have to show something of the conversation between her and Thingle. It doesn't have to sound like a go-to-your-room-young-lady conversation <laughs> right. if we don't want it to. But she could make clear that her intention is to leave Doriath. And we could see Thingle have significant fear when he recognizes how committed she is to following through on this original plan. Like... He thought he took care of the problem already. Right. And he has is just coming to the realization that no indeed he did not. He did not. I a, exactly. I have a I have a I have a question, maybe even a controversial one. Do we think it's essential to lock her in a treehouse at all? I'm wondering if like you know, is there one way to get around some of these logistical questions of like, you know, what how could you restrain her? How do you make it look not dumb putting her in a treehouse? Also, how do we not make it look, look like Thingle sending her to her room? How do we make it not look like Thingle's putting his daughter in jail? One way to get around that is to just not even do this sequence right. and maybe just communicate the fear. Maybe have it be more like she she thinks she wants to go. He and Melian talk her out of it. And then eventually she just disappears in the middle of the night. And then you basically get all of this, you can do all a lot of the same stuff in terms of Thingle being upset and scared, maybe sends guards to chase after her, that kind of stuff. And then we get around to this logistical stuff. Just want to toss that possibility out there. It, it kind of depends on how much narrative time transpires between the time that Baron leaves mm-hmm. and the time that we want Luthien to leave. So if she leaves right after, then uh, maybe. But if we want her to hang out, uh, we would need a reason why. So we would need a replacement for the tree, right? Like we need we need some reason why she doesn't just go off with him immediately, right? right. And so we need to come up with a replacement for the treehouse, which we may be able to find one that is more logistically sound. Um, but it's important to recognize that the tree house does serve a function uh, in the story. Well, I, w- right. I was thinking like, what if 
what if she's just not restrained? What if she's convinced not to go initially and then changes her mind? Uh, that's, that's a little harder to convey on screen. That's a little more tell, don't show, but um, so and, and you need to convince her the other way yes, afterwards. Right. Too. Yes. Yes. Right. How would you how would you communicate? How would you display that on screen? Her her changing of her mind. So, yeah, good. Good point. So one of the things Marie, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, it seems like we would have to talk her into something she really doesn't want to do and then have her be like, oh, never mind. Five minutes later, which would feel like a, whatever cost there was to the original concession goes yeah. away. Yeah, so it feels equally silly. It's very much the go to your room because it's like, fine, I will sit here for five minutes. All right. You're not watching me anymore. I'm gone. <laughs> right, like, right. Um, yeah. I, so, yes, I do think. One thing that we have to keep in mind, of course, um, one of the things that is sort of meant to be a combo, one of the reasons that we need this sequence, in a, I mean, not that we can, couldn't get around it, but one of the functions that it's going to have, this is when she does the magic cloak, right? This is when she makes the magic cloak, which we were planning to use in Nargothrond, right? Um, now we could just shift it right and have her time in Nargothrond be the time when she makes it but then like what does Huan do so you know having Huan steal back her cloak and give it to her was was the kind of mechanism there so um having her do her magic cloak now but I do agree Dave that the treehouse itself doesn't isn't really like she lives underground like she lives in Menegroth right Menegroth has doors Doors which are guarded, not only doors which are guarded, but magic doors, right? I mean, it's, 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 um, I feel fairly confident that Menegroth has magic doors because, uh, Thranduil's halls have magic doors and that's where they got them from. <laughs> so I feel fairly confident in saying that Menegroth has magic doors, um, uh, because uh, I don't think Thranduil's Halls had anything that uh, Menegroth doesn't have, except maybe a barrel trap door. I don't think Menegroth has a barrel trap door. I think that's that's a that's an innovation, which of course backfires on Thranduil. So there you go. But anyhow, um, I, the point is, if she she doesn't have to be restrained for it to be difficult for her to get away, right? All that has to all that re, in order to create the situation, the circumstances that we would need, all she would have to do uh, is for her father to say, I forbid you to go, and her to be like, I'm not going to promise that I'm not going to go, and for him to them say, okay, I want to keep, you know, say to the guards, like, don't let her go. Um, You know, so that his will and her will are clearly in collision. Um, and then now she's in a position where, like, so what do you do? Does she deceive the guards? Does she overpower the guards in some way? Does she? Because she's not going to want to do that, right? I mean, that's not going to be trivial, a trivial situation. In fact, we have her in a very similar place in Nargothrond, right, where she is kept not in chains, but under house arrest, but under a house arrest that it, you know, she would have to fight to get free of. She's going to be even less willing um, to do any violence in her own home among her own people, right? Um, And so, therefore, one could easily see how even if she's just in her normal living quarters, right, but she wants to leave a magic cloak that conceals her from people's sight and maybe makes people sleepy would still be handy, 
right, would still be something she might make in order to facilitate just a departure from 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 um, uh, uh, from you know Menegra. Thank you, goodness. I'm like Menegra. Yes. Yeah, Phew, that's the word I'm losing. Yes, from Menegra. Um, anyway, yeah. So um, at least you know what season we're in. Yeah, yeah. At least I do know what season we're in. There we go. Yeah, most of the time. So one of the ideas that came up on the boards that kind of deals with a few of these things is the idea of the tree being kind of hornish and the tree right. basically being convinced to just be a prison, right? right. Um, which deals with a few things. It's why, like maybe doors in Menegroth couldn't have held her, but she can't get out of this tree without destroying it, which isn't really her thing. Like... Um, and it could even, we could even kind of not, we'd have to be a little careful with this, but we could even, um, kind of prefigure the, uh, the matter with Huan in a situation where she kind of convinces the tree, the tree, right. To not be a prison anymore. <clears throat> right. 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 And then right. she puts the guards to sleep and takes off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so my, the first question I ask is, what do we gain by adding a sequence like that? Like a treehouse sequence, that, a tree, a prison sequence, right? Not just a, I don't want you to leave. Menegroth is hard to leave, especially if to people that I say shouldn't leave, you know. Um, and I think there is something that we gain there, right? Um, what, we, what we gain is Thingol crossing a line, right? Um, we've got Thingol... And Luthien, you know, and Dad says, "Good, I got rid of your skanky boyfriend." And the daughter says, "Well, I'm going after him." And he says, "No, you're not, young lady." And she says, "Yes, I am." And then he says, "Okay, I'm going to put you in prison to physically prevent you going after him." Like that's a big deal, you know. Like that's it's that that there should be something right that he has taken an active step to incarcerate, to physically incarcerate her seems like an important step, especially given the later reconciliation, right? Um, I mean, what he's done to Baron, that's not a, that's, that's not a great look, right? Um, you know, it's the whole Silmaril thing. It's not a, it's not a great thing, but what he does with locking her up, it's a further step. Um, and the first time he's, he could at least convince himself that he is protecting his daughter from, you know, this sketchy human dude, right, um, who came in. But when he's locking up his daughter in prison, he is crossing, like, he's crossing a line in his relationship with her. He's even got to cross a line in his own mind, right? Um his the whole way that he's treating her is fundamentally different now. Um, so in that way, I do really like the idea of there being an actual like a separate step. Like I'm not just sending you to your room. I'm not just telling you that you can't leave this house or you know this cave system. I am telling you I'm I'm locking you away for your own good, young lady. Right? Because. You can't be trusted. You're, you're, I'm taking your freedom away, right? I'm, I'm abrogating your free will because your free will is not to be trusted. It's a significant step, right? Um, taking your and, phone away. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's, 
Is it that bad? I guess it is that bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So um, if you've ever spoken to a 13 year old who has lost access to their phone, yes, it is that yes. serious. Exactly. It is. It is. Um, it's uh, might as well. Might as well lock her in the treehouse. So, um, okay. So I do think putting her into some sort of incarceration is a good idea. And if we're going to, we might as well do something with Hira Lorne. So coming back to then to the, to the Huorn idea, um, though, can I suggest we don't use the word Huorn in the season in which we're talking about Huon all the time as uh, the confusion likelihood is about 98% if we do that. Yeah, yeah. good point. <laughs> sure, sure, no problem. We'll use the name of the tree that Tolkien gave the tree, Hirolorn, which is, Hirolorn. of course, the completely different. Yes. Problem. <laughs> yeah. He's just got an extra syllable. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yes. so Hirolorn, we'll refer to the tree by name. Hirolorn, yeah, there you go. Um, I... I like the idea of the tree be like it, the tree being an active participant in the incarceration process does help to solve one of the problems, right? The chief problem that it solves is how is Luthien going to escape? And, and, and it's kind of fun because again, it's like we, we will see her incarcerated twice, right? And both times she's in and, Actually, the more I think about this, the more awesome I actually think this is. This is a beautiful thing, right? We will see her incarcerated twice. Both times, she is incarcerated by her own choice, essentially, right? She's not incarcerated in the sense of being locked away from a prison from which it is physically impossible for her to escape, right? It's not a, it's not a, because of some limitation on her power, Right? It's because of the limitation of her choice. Like in order to escape, she would have, she could escape. She has the power to escape both times, easily, trivially even. But in order to do that, she would have to cross a line um, that she, that it would be wrong for her to cross. Right. And I like that. See, I can't, I can't believe that these words are coming out of my mouth. But Luthien, Luthien wins not by destroying what she hates, but by saving what she loves. And this is like, which is why she won't, she doesn't just destroy Kelegorman Kurofin with a, a blast of song or right. burst, forth, burst forth from the tree or even actually harm anyone in Angband. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No uh, antagonists are harmed in <laughs> Luthien's escape attempts or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and of course, what this sets up at the end of the day is release from bondage is all about Luthien's choices, right? What Luthien will do and will not do, what lines Luthien will cross and not cross, like that's the whole heart of the entire season, of the entire story, right? So I kind of love that we're setting that up uh, in the ways that we are. Um, and in a sense, there's also a very sensible escalation here, right? Um, all she'd have to do to bust out of her little tree prison, right, 
is um, kill a tree, basically, right? Um, a sentient tree, right? Uh, I, I, could we set this up? Can we show her in Dairon, like, dancing around the tree or Oyeron or something? Can we show her, like, like a previous relationship between her and the tree or something? The tree is right at the gates of Menegroth. Okay. So anytime you enter or leave Menegroth, the tree is there. Right, right. How awkward does that make anybody coming in or out of Menegroth? Like, right. oh yeah, and there's a tree on the, on where the, the princess the is imprisoned. <laughs> awkward. Yeah, yeah. Don't mind me over here in prison, right? At the, they might as well hang her on a, you know, in a cage, uh, you know, from a, from a post or something. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but. Um, Anyway, yeah, so, um, okay, yes, that is, uh, that is, uh, well, it is awkward, but how is, how would the tree imprison her? How would that work? Because, I mean, one of the problems with the tree itself being in the, um, it's very, um, confined living space, right? I mean, in the treehouse version, uh, Thingol can at least have a nice swank treehouse made for her, right? Uh, to, you know, it can be a decent apartment, right? That she's uh, that she's uh, limited to. Um, well, it's a very very large tree, and right. it has the three separate uh, trunks or bowls to it, right? Mm-hmm. So the the obvious place for the prison would be at the juncture of those three, and somehow have. Uh, part on top close over so right. she doesn't have to be like the whole tree doesn't have to collapse in on, on her right she doesn't have to be actually pod. like physically restrained right yeah but if she is in the the place where this joint and then there's like branches that grow around in a little mm-hmm. hanging cage thing like you would do <laughs> or if you recall the um the film version of uh, prince caspian at the very end, when uh, Aslan makes the makes the portal to come back to uh, mm-hmm. to Earth, right, and that huge tree twists like untwists itself to to create the portal, yes. and then retwists itself when the portal goes away. Um, it could be something like that, where those those massive trunks of the tree kind of kind of twist around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I mean, this still leaves Luthien with like a, you know, five foot diameter ball in which to live. Maybe, I mean, if it's big enough, maybe it could be a, a 10 foot diameter ball. Um, not a whole lot of space, not real comfy, though yeah. we can It's a little my side of the mountain, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, it is. It's a little, uh, um, uh, yeah, but... We could, I mean, so, we yeah. could just make this tree as big as it needs to be to give her like a a decent sized little studio apartment, you know, for her to right. to to do right. spin like uh, like thread spinning and whatnot. Yeah, and I guess if uh, if if it's high up enough, right? If it's not like the trunks that are surrounding her, 
but rather she's lifted up into the top and the branches kind of flatten out and then close around so that it could be more like a room that she's... I mean, it would be treehouse-ish, just a treehouse made of tree, right? Um, so it, could, it, it, would, it would, in that case, be more like a flat with a house on it instead of being cocooned you know, in a, uh, in a, in a cage. But, um, yeah, I think, I think, I think that that can work. What, what's the tree's angle on this? What does the tree think of it? Cause the tree likes Luthien, right? I mean, everybody likes Luthien. Who doesn't like Luthien, right? Uh, the tree likes Luthien. Um, the tree, oh, and, uh, here, here, yeah. Does it, um, <clears throat> Thingol has convinced the tree that this is for her best, that the tree needs to protect Luthien. Right. Right. She's 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 in danger and needs to be protected. Yeah. And yeah, this the is I, the uh, idea was to portray the tree like in a motherly fashion, right. not mm, in right. a um jailer fashion. <laughs> right. Right. But I, right. I do like I think you, you were referencing this before, Corey. Like I think we're what we're seeing is now a repeating pattern. Like it's, it's, um, it's, we've got the tree, we've got Huan later, and then eventually we have Mandos. Yeah. These are all powerful beings that Luthien eventually wins over to, to what mm-hmm. she's doing. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. That's a yeah. great idea. I, 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 I think it works really well. Um, or, uh, square, square footage, notwithstanding. Very square footage I, that's my only concern but it's I, 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 you know it's workable we can we can we can we yeah. can make that work this is a very large tree this is the tree yeah. that the entire forest is named after right so it's the tree is as massive and impressive as you need it um, right and that also by the way mitigates the whole spectacle of imprisoned luthien by the gate thing um you know, if she's 150 feet up, it's it's less of a it's less of a problem when you're walking in and out, right? Um, I mean, of course, you might hear her singing or something, you know, from uh, in the distance, you know. Um, but um, but yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so um, let's. Uh, yeah, Steve, that's a really great question about Tulsarian. Let's hang out. We'll, we'll come back to that when we get there. I hope to get there uh, today, and we'll we'll come back to that in a second. I want to I want to focus on on the tree though first uh, while we're talking about this. Um, I can easily see how the tree will be persuaded to believe that um, to believe that Luthien needs protecting. Right, that that uh, she is in danger, and the tree can protect her, and it must not let her in, and, and it must not let her out. But that's the harder part, right? Um, if Thingol was crossing a line, how does he convince the tree to cross the line, too, and refuse Luthien's will? Like, or to say the same thing from a different angle, what gives Thingol the confidence that the tree is not going to let her out? Right? How? Why does he think that this is a secure prison? Um, there has to be a reason that he's convinced that it's a secure prison. That the tree will definitely not like. She's not going to say, um, "Hey, here, Lauren, can you please let me out?" And she'll be like, "Oh, okay." You know, like I mean, why wouldn't she? The tree. Um, uh, why? Why would Thingol be confident in that? So that's the it seems to me the weak point in this mm. in this yeah, plot. 
if the tree has been like a gate guard guardian type mm-hmm. character i mean we haven't really introduced the tree before but right assuming that the tree well had that role right right we could we could introduce that in episode one if we need to right we um, find find some way to yeah introduce that mm-hmm. then Thindle might trust that the protecting and safety thing would translate to the tree because he told the tree to like he's king and everything in the forest listens to him he's probably quite comfortable with that by this time and yes the audience knows he's crossing a line with his daughter but he doesn't see the line if he knew he was crossing that line he might think twice so he's not gonna recognize that he might have underlings who are going to start questioning his orders about this matter. So I realize the... it's a little weak because the Thingle didn't think of it. And then right. Luthien asks the tree and the tree lets her out. And it's like, what's no, the... they should have thought of that. The... What's the tree's like relationship with Thingle? Like maybe we can, maybe we can establish this tree is like a, like a really is a trusted guardian with a strong will. and isn't just yeah. going to like blithely, blithely let, let Luthien out and maybe maybe they have a maybe the tree is loyal to Thingle um right or to Melian maybe maybe there's a relationship with Melian well I was thinking about Melian and kind of but that opens up the bigger question of what's Melian's whole I mean I can't see Melian it's one thing for Melian not to resist him Thingle I mean right for her not to work against him um that I can easily see Melian doing I can see Melian standing back and saying this is this has gone from bad now to slightly worse and you know whatever i'm not going to be a part of this i can't see her working with him like so my 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 first thought day was yeah if the power of melian if melian has a word with the tree right and says don't let her out that's a harder thing to overcome right it would seem to me mm-hmm. but i can't see melian doing it i can't see melian uh participating in this scheme so um uh, I think it's enough that she's not overriding, overruling him, overruling Thingol, uh in doing this. Like, that's about as far as I can see Melian going in collaboration uh, with this bad plan. Um, so I don't think that's an option. It kind of it seems like we've, we've just got to we're going to have to spend some screen time with the tree to establish the tree. The tree as like a sort of a stalwart, unchangeable, like character so that so that we so that the the audience is surprised when the tree is won over to like to luthien's cause right yeah if the tree is essentially if we establish the tree as a kind of symbol or like you know it's like synecdoche right of the whole forest right it is what we have here is a representation of thingol's authority He's he's the king, right? Yes. He there you rules go. this land, and the land is gonna obey him, right? He's um, Luthien. She's powerful. She's appealing. Everybody loves her, but she doesn't outrank her father, you know. And Thingol would. I mean, Maria goes back to what you were saying about Thingol believing, having reason to believe, right, that his authority is absolute here, um, and he's what he's done in locking her up in the tree, he, he has taken the step of exerting what he believes to be absolute authority against 
Luthien. Um, which means, by the way, there is some violence that she's going to have to do, right? She does violence not against the tree, but against her father's authority, against her father's... I mean, she's going she's gonna to stand up against that, and she's going to resist her father's authority. Um, uh, so th- there will be one thing that will be harmed uh, in her escape, and that is her father's reputation, right? Her fa- but that's deserved, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, he, that's his own fault. Uh, for 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 doing that uh, and for wrongly applying that authority, so in the end, um, uh, Hirolorn is going to is going to um, it's is going to be like a rebuke to Thingol, right? Um, in the end, he has put he has put he. <laughs> He's put the tree into an invidious position, right, by exerting his authority and uh, but exerting his authority to have her do ultimately a, a wrong thing, right? A bad thing, um, as Luthien will convince her to do. And that, of course, is also directly parallel to Huan, which is precisely the situation that Huan is going to be in. Right. So once again, we can see sort of the setups and the parallels. And I think um, um, I think that that's. um I think that works. That works pretty well. Um, so all we really have to do is establish Thingol's authority, right? Um, so that's the ch- so I'm going to pass the buck. That's the challenge for you guys in episode one or two is to establish Thingol's absolute authority, like that we know that what Thingol wills and decrees, like the land obeys him, right? And one of the reasons, actually, I also think that this is important is that a lot of emphasis, appropriately, has been laid on the girdle of Melian, right? Um, Which risks putting Thingol into a quasi-Celebornish situation, right? Um, I mean, he is, of course, the proto-Celeborn in this regard, Um, you know, playing second fiddle to his vastly superior wife, um, but he's not in the same position because he was a character on his own in the show before he met Melian and we've done more with him. So I'm not like worried about him just being um, a complete cipher or something. But yet again, showing his uh, his real authority, like his real decision making, which we, by the way, are already going to be emphasizing in Melian's submission to him. Right. She's going to let his word stand even when she thinks he's making, um, you know, bad decision after bonehead decision here. Um, and so how we handle that, how we show that it can also influence this, I think. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think we def- necessarily need to show single ruling that tree prior right. to right. this happening. But we do need to remind the audience that he's king of Doriath and everyone and everything in his kingdom obeys him. When the, when the refugees arrive, Mm -hmm. having, uh, having him show up to kind of pave the way for them through the forest Mm -hmm. in the same way that the elves, uh, traverse, you know, rivers and forests in, uh, Beleriand on the trek, uh, westward, you know, we had them convincing trees to be bridges and to get out of the way to allow them to pass and stuff like that. So it's we've set a precedent for this and having 
having uh, Thingle remind us not only of his authority, but of his ability to do this probably would be a good idea. Right, right. And then when the tree listens to Thingle, like when he basically tells the tree to create the little, you know, open up and then close up, you know, when the tree does exactly what he says, we're going to think, oh, this tree listens to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he speaks and it happens, um, and we establish that clearly. Yeah, Nick, I like that about uh, him, uh, you know, commanding the forest and the forest shifting to, you know, showing that kind of that that kind of authority, um, and then as a setup to his establishing the the tree prison. Um, yeah. So I, we just uh, need I, Thingle to do a so let it be written, so let it be done thing, and then we're good. <laughs> yeah, well, and and his we can give him a really. Um, we can give him a really impressive speech to give to Hirolarn, right? When he locks Luthien up, like invoking heavily invoking his authority and making it really clear that if the tree lets her out, the tree is like rebelling against him in a way that it's obviously not going to do or going to want to do. Um, uh, and um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, we can, we can kind of beef that up a little bit there. And what Luthien is doing is not just talking it around, right? right? She's not just convincing it to side with her against her dad. She's not. Um, what is she doing then, by the way? What? How? How does she escape? No, she's still going to need to make her cloak, and there are going to be elvish guards also at the foot of the tree. So, uh, you know, wrapping herself in her cloak of darkness so that she can escape will still be a thing that she's going to want to do. Um, uh, but she's going to have to interact with the tree separately, right? Um, she could invoke her own authority as not only the princess of Doriath, but the daughter of Melian. Right. You know, the guard, the guardian of the guardian of the of the forest, or the guardian. Though, if this is also going to be the moment, right? I mean, again, the parallels just abound in this season, right? This is a very little version of her song before Mandos at the end, right? She, we, we, we start, she kicks off her career with her song before Herolorn, right, at the start. And then, uh, and she's going to get Herolorn to relent as she's going to let Mandos to relent. Um, moving the unmoved, moving yeah. the unmovable. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so with with Huon, yeah. part of what she's going to do is convince him that Baron's a good guy. Right. So she's going to tell Huon stories about Baron and how he treats animals and how he's a kind person. Right. Obviously, much better than this Kelligorm jerk. But you know, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Like Kelligorm also to animals and all you know so like there's overlap there right but with the tree the question is you know how could Luthien convince the tree that her cause is more right than Thingol's cause because I don't think she can try and pull rank when her father no. clearly outranks her yeah so yeah. I think she has to make some kind of persuasive argument about how her mission her goal is far better than what Thingol's trying to accomplish yeah and if if the tree is all about, but I have to keep you here and keep you safe because that's what I was told to do. She's like, but this is more important than my safety. 
Right, right, exactly. We talked about having the tree acting almost as a mother here. Right. But how do trees care for their offspring? They release them. Right. True. If, I mean, assuming the, like, nut is the, is the offspring. But yeah. Well, yeah, but not. it's... Yeah, 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 you, yeah, you, 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 you drop them, you let them go, right? Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so... <laughs> I'm so laughing because use... JJ is suggesting that she tricks the tree into carrying her into a part of the forest where all the trees have been cut down. Anyway, sorry, never mind, go ahead. <laughs> I, I know that's your favorite part of, of yeah, Lord of the Rings. That's, that's absolutely the best part. Uh, yeah. Second only to uh, uh, hauling Frodo and Sam into uh, Osgiliath. But anyway. Um, well, by rights, they shouldn't even shouldn't have been there. <laughs> no, they, no, they really shouldn't. Um, anyway, anyway, sorry. Sorry, Marie, you were just going to make a serious comment. <laughs> well, I was wondering whether we want her to convince the tree or to use power of song to make the tree do what she wants as far as releasing her like a nut rather than right. hurting the tree to escape because she could still use her magic powers not harm the tree and get out without necessarily winning the right. tree over yeah so if i we mean, want to do more more magic or more persuasion i think persuasion well but it can be magical persuasion i mean there's no reason it can't be magical persuasion especially if um, the magical persuasion is something along the lines of like what she would have to. Okay. So you're trying to convince the tree to let you go. Right. You're right now. So Marie, you're right. What you were saying before, you've got to convince the tree that your reason for going is in fact greater than the, re you know, like you're not going to say dad's lying because he's not lying. She is in danger and she is going to be in danger, right? That's actually perfectly true. The thing she has to convince the tree of is that it is better, right? It is better to like, she is going to put herself into danger, but that's because, uh, she, she, she needs to do that in order to save other people from danger. Um, anyway, so the sacrifice of self, again, like, Luthien's choice later on before Mandos, right? Again, we we are sort of setting up, but she is binding herself to Baron. She is going to share in Baron's danger and in Baron's fate. Um, okay. Anyway, yeah, you got to convince the tree of all this. But in order to convince the tree of all this, first you have to communicate with the tree, right? And it's not just a matter of like speaking tree or something like that, right? Nick, I'm coming back to like the acorn thing here though it's not an acorn because it's not an oak but um anyway um i don't even know what beech seeds look like um but anyway who knows um but the point is like she's got to put this in a way that the tree is gonna understand right that i think maria is where the magic comes in right um because she does the she does the elvish magic thing right and i'm thinking here explicitly of the um, the Finrod and Sauron song duel, right? With the, um, how the song duel works is the magic invoking concepts and ideas, which then are themselves in conflict with each other. Right. Um, and who, whoever's song is stronger. Like, is it, is it the freedom or escape 
song that is going to come true or is it the you know the ch and then ultimately of course the kin slaying and then things go uh, things go downhill from there right um you know the doom the incarceration um here that there would be once again there would be two things two ideas at war right thingol's command is one thing right it's not a song duel between thingol and luthien exactly but Lu Thingol's command is there in the mind of the tree, right? And Luthien has to oppose that image in the mind of the tree with the image that she is going to put forward. Mm -hmm. And for so, again, I don't see like a, a dialogue, a Socratic dialogue with the tree, right? I don't see like an argument with the tree. It's not about, you know, this is not a debating club. But for her to sing a song and create this... Um, uh, conflicting image right where she shows the tree like um what happens if the tree lets her go right um so according to google the uh seed of a beech tree is a little uh burr that opens up and lets the seed out how so, is it yeah well, there's your image there's your visual yeah. image yeah. <laughs> there you go and it attaches go. to a passerby also like it attaches to other animals and that's well, what the burr does yeah, it only has a few. Uh, it's not like the whole. It's not a whole complete bird. It's just the. But still. So it's not like a yeah. like 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 a horse chestnut or something. It's it's with like the uh, spiky thing. No. No, it's not, not completely full. covered. It's it like, might it might depend on the uh, on the the beech tree because I'm seeing a bunch of different ones. Yeah, that, European okay, beech some, trees. This yeah, is Tolkien. Yeah. It's European beech trees. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> right, right. Right. Um, oh, by the by the way, I, I really like the, if somebody was uh, on the boards was comparing Hero Lauren to Old Man Willow, except like n not evil. Right. Um, right. And I like that, except we obviously can't call her old beach lady uh, because that just wouldn't work in the same way, um, <laughs> even though Hero Lauren is awkwardly similar to Huan, but whatever. Okay. So it's all, it's right. So the, I yeah, the, the we have the visual metaphor then that she would use in her song, right. To show, um, and that would be a way to translate this into, um, tree language, right. So that to show the tree, but, but again, the point is what she would be arguing is not just, it's not simply you should release me again. It's, this is not simply like, he says, no, I say yes, I'm stronger, so you're going to let me go instead of not letting me go, right? Um, it can't be just a kind of mental arm wrestling between her and Thingol. It's got to be, again, the two different opposing images. Here, Lauren is going to be, got to be choosing a positive thing, not just a negative thing. It's not just like, okay, I agree to disobey. Can't be the conclusion that Here, Lauren is being pushed to, right? It has to be a positive thing. Um, so what is the positive vision that um, uh, uh, what is the positive vision that she's pushing to Huan? She pushes the vision of Baron and how like worthy Baron is, right? And worthy of helping. Um, um, don't you want to help me help him? Right? Is kind of the message to Huan. Um, uh, what's the message to Hirolorn then? I think that relying on the the seed imagery will help us there, um, mm -hmm. and you know, um, Steve brought up earlier about how much like the the Ents themselves don't want to keep Saruman prisoner, 
right? right. It makes right. them sad, yes. right? Yeah. And so they let him go because, like, the caging of live things, yeah. Right. Um, now, of course, we know that Old Wet Man Will has no problem restraining things. Um, right. So it's not like like trees are universally opposed well to the that's what we call a thing. red flag yes yeah but she could um appeal to the idea of her being kept in this tree for all time and and like how the you know the seed that never emerges from its pod never grows and never becomes a tree of its own and stuff like that mm-hmm. um i i mean I'm a little nervous of the, you know, you know, if you love something, let it go message. Right. Cause that's, that is a little simplistic. Um, but this is the first foray into this. It is. For her. And, and it we is, don't have it's to- going to add like complexity is going to be added to this. You're right. I mean, we, we have all these parallels, right? We have, um, her escape from here, Lauren, um, her escape from Nargothrond, um, her in front of Tolsirion, her in Angband, her before Mandos, right? So we have all, we have Luthien in all of these situations. And there's like, on the one hand, there's obvious escalation all the way through, right? Um, but I think <clears throat> one of the ways in which we make sure that these parallel situations are cool and not tedious um, or trite is by not just upping the stakes, right? Because, of course, that can get super lame, right? And now, like, the next boss fight is with somebody who's even bigger than the previous boss. Like, that's not what we're going for, right? Um, But basically, it's not just that there's more at stake, but there are different things at stake. And that even she herself grows as a character. She doesn't know, right? The Luthien who's singing to Hirolorn is going to be a very in a very different place from the Luthien who's going to be singing before Mandos, right? She will have learned much yeah. and progressed much um, in her understanding of what's going on. So having her song to hear alone be sort of more simplistic, in a sense, I think is not a horrible thing, right? Um, that, yes, she's going to be in danger, but seeds always are. Right. When they, you know, seeds are very vulnerable. Um, Seeds can always get and frequently do get snapped up and eaten. Right. By birds or or squirrels or any other number of things. Right. Um, Releasing the seed is always dangerous. Danger. um, And again, the danger is going to be the thing like she must be protected at all costs. And I like the idea, you know, both with the release of the seed and with, you know, as we were talking about and as Steve was saying, the, the um, uh, you know, Treebeard's not disliking the caging of live things. I, li- I really like how that works because it really emphasizes that what Thingol is asking is something unnatural. Like, this is not, this is not good. This is not, and it's true on every level. It's, it's true, right? He's, he's, he's putting the tree in an invidious position. He's acting wrongly by his daughter. It's not right. Uh, it's not right. And the tree will see that, right? And she will make the tree see that. But the only way she can make the tree see that is through, it's, it's the power of her song. It is her magic that's going to, and her power that's going to enable her to get free. Um, but she, she can't just overwhelm it. She can't just overpower the tree because then if she just dominates the tree and force and compels 
the tree to let her go, then that's very much the wrong path for Luthien to be heading down there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Luthien is going to be very polite and say please. She's going to, yes, yes. Uh, I'm going to show you why it is the right thing to disobey Thingol and instead to let me go. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, and I don't know if you guys talked about this while I was doing the, the baby handoff, um, are there consequences to this tree of of this thing? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. So and the tree gets off scot-free. The tree, yeah, absolutely. The tree escapes. Okay. Well, here's here's my thought about that. We don't come back later and like and like <laughs> Thingol is presiding over an enormous bonfire. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Daddy's gonna build a big new woodshed or something, right? I've got a I've got a whole I've got a whole like a uh, beechwood cabin are being erected over there. Um no. Um but um what I can see, if we wanted to, um I could imagine a scene. It would seem a little bit odd not to close the loop with Thingol. Like we last leave Thingol, you know, making this momentous pronouncement in front of the tree and invoking all of his authority. And then we see her leaving and then we never get back to Thingol until, you know, Kelgorm sends the letter to him. Right. Like that would be weird. I think I think we do need to close that a little bit. And if we did, the logical scene, it would seem to me, would be Thingol upset at the tree Right. He might even perhaps make some intemperate remarks about uh, what he might decide to build with the tree. Right. The tree. Because this it's the tree has rebelled. Right. I mean, this is this is this is serious. Right. Um, And I imagine Melian being involved in that discussion, basically. Um, This could be used as a step towards I don't know how quickly we want him to go. Um, but this would be this, that scene, the after she's escaped scene, um, would be part of his progression towards ultimately repenting and turning back and, and getting better with them at the end. Um, but, um, I was, uh, I was kind of wondering, like, that's something I was wondering about if, if there are indeed no consequences for the tree. Uh, is that is that a, like a like a an implicit acknowledgement from Thingol that what that it was wrong to even ask the tree to do this in the first place, and that like maybe he gets a glimpse of the um, the um, um, psychic song battle conversation that they had, and like starts to understand that like basically basically is like I can't really blame you. You stood no chance. You you like you know you lost fair and square like right. Luthien kicked your butt you you couldn't have won that battle um but like but if but if but you're right like if he does acknowledge that it is the first it must be the first step towards repentance <laughs> i i think that melian yeah will see that i, I would say i want melian yes. to be the voice saying that because i don't think thingle's gonna figure oh, it like, out on his own yeah that's that makes more sense actually thingle's just mad that the tree didn't listen to him and, and she frustrated that luthien's so gone he is and getting afraid. out the axe and a yeah. no, I don't. I think he's he, he's he's like you had one job. 
you know, like, <laughs> right, right, right. What is this? So he's all he's, you had to do was continue to be a tree in the shades <laughs> that I left you. <laughs> right. Like you when I tell a tree to stay the way it is, I expect that to happen pretty regularly. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, right. he's just upset and reacting and worried about where Luthien is gone now. Melian's the one who can gently point out to him like the tree had to do the right thing and what yeah. you told the tree to do was maybe not the right thing. Was maybe not the right thing, right? Like yeah. gentle hint number three that you're not going in the right direction here, husband mine. Yes, exactly. And even to have um, in Thingol's trajectory, right? One of the other trajectories that I think is going to is is going to I mean, there's got to be some there's there's some gap between him and Melian that opens up here. Right. Um, uh, which we're going to see with that. O King, you have devised cunning counsel conversation right earlier on. Um, and it can widen, I think, here. Um, it's that's, you know, the relationship between Thingol and Melian isn't the main story. Right. That's like the D plot of the Doriath storyline, right? In other words, so I get the, the relationship between him and Luthien is the much more prominent um, element there. But a subplot of that is him and Melian as well. And so, so yes, showing this, this can also be a kind of um, low point, I would think, for Thingol. Um, and, um, for for Thingol and Melian, I mean, for Thingol in his relationship with Melian in particular, um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Some scene with the tree and Thingol and Melian would be would be good, I think, to uh, uh, to sort of show where they are here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so just just to make sure, we definitely don't want a scene of him like calling out Norn the fourth to like bring out his axe or anything like that. You know, like we're sure. No, not so far as that. Not so far as that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I don't think we have him, uh, you know, lighting up a little fire next to her, like Sam did uh, with old man Willow or anything, getting out his little (laughs) hatchet, you know? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Starting to gnaw on the tree. No, we're we're not going to go any, do any of that. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I do. I, but I think we can, um, we can show this gives another really good Melian opportunity for her to try another, um, um, teaching moment, right. To try to show her husband what's going on here. Um, okay. Uh, there was an, I feel like there was another question I was going to ask about this, but, um, let's come back for a second to what Steve was asking about before, because Steve was saying, with the whole Luthien uh, being nonviolent thing, um, Tulsirion seems to stand out in that, like, she's, you know, she convinces the tree to let her release her piece. She overcomes a prison, not by busting out, by, but by getting the tree to release her. She um, gets out of Nargothrond, not by busting through and knocking people out, but by, uh, you know, getting Huon to help her. Um, she gets through Angband by putting everybody peacefully to sleep. But she goes to Telesirian and blows up the place, right? Um, so I, I, I see the contrast there. Um, the, um, and it's not quite true that no one is harmed because we are going to, we were going to kill off Thurin Gwethel uh, in this explosion. The main difference, it seems to me, is that 
first of all, in neither case, that is, with the neither with the tower nor with um, uh, Thuringwethel herself, is Luthien destroying. I mean, this is why we talked about this when we were talking about the Thuringwethel plot. Exactly what I didn't want was a toe-to-toe fight between Thuringwethel and Luthien, in which Luthien killed her, um, or you know, brought about her destruction directly in that way, like intentionally, like. You know, I'm fighting you, I'm overcoming you, and as a result, you're going to die. Um, that's exactly what I wanted to, to avoid there with Luthien. Um, and we have avoided it. What brings about the destruction of Tulsirion and what brings about the death of Thurin Gwethil, both, is the result of their, oh, Sauron's choices and her choices, right? I mean, the, the undoing of their evil plot, which releases the power which they, you know, in the release of the prisoners whom they have incarcerated, it's that release um, which causes the destruction. So she doesn't blow up the tower, right? You know, she doesn't cast fireball and 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 explode it. Um, nor does she kill Thorin Gwethel, right? Thorin Gwethel only dies because she herself is there trying to, you know, betray Sauron, and she's seeking power for herself. Um, so again, both of them receive the consequences of their own, and with, with Luthien not even, you know, it's totally unintended on Luthien's part. Um, all she does is set them, set the prisoners free. Um, what happens when that happens, I don't think is her responsibility. So I think all we have to do is just be careful how we depict it, right? If we were to show Luthien standing in the middle of like this swirling whirlwind of lights and power, like, you know destroying the tower, yeah, that would be a pretty different look from anything we have Luthien doing anywhere else. But I don't think we need to do that. Um, And in fact, I think it would be pretty cool to have the song which destroys the tower be quite a quiet and gentle song, basically. Um, And mostly about releasing the prisoners from bondage, because that's what brings down the tower. Exactly, exactly. In our Um, version. She would certainly not be intending to bring down the tower. She's not going to just. She's not going to be intending to destroy, to blast the tower. Um, Baron is in there, after all. Baron is in there, right? She's she's not wanting to blow it up, um, but she is wanting to open the doors. And opening the doors is going to release the power, power which Sauron has to. I mean, the reason he's imprisoned them is for power, right? You know, it's it's uh, it's it's. Yeah, so um, I think it's all about, like, what she's doing isn't different. Um, she, it's not like this is, in fact, a less a less nonviolent act on her part. It's not less nonviolent. Um, but we, it could look discordant if we're not careful. So I agree that I think that we need to be careful there. And I think that the key person who will make this work is Philip Menzies. It's all about the score for her song, right? Um, uh, If her song that releases the prisoners sounds like violent and explosive, then it will be, then then it'll set the wrong tone, right? But... So let's hope he hasn't already begun working on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we can reduce the sound effects budget uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in that song. But no, I mean, seriously, I think it's, you know, she does what she does. Um, and 
the release of the prisoners does what it does. Um, yeah, no, I think it that can all that can all work again. It's as long as we don't have her turning all green like Hobbit Goadriel and and uh, you know unleashing power uh, to blast the tower. Then then I don't think we've we've fundamentally changed her situation there. Um, yeah, okay. I want I do want to make sure to address that. All right, so let's talk about Dairon. Okay. The first, the big, the, re, the, the, the really big question, what is Dairon's story going to be? Okay. What is his character arc? Do we have him? Be, so we know that there's a, an unrequited love situation here just on some level or other. Right. We don't necessarily have to have we we talked about this a little bit before. Right. And I think, as I recall, you guys were inclined, uh, you know, Marie and Nick, you guys were sort of inclined to not have him like hoping and assuming they were going to get married. But maybe, uh, you know, not not have it be quite like an overt love triangle situation with Dairon and Baron um, uh, and Luthien. Love triangles are difficult with elves um mostly because we're kind of explicitly told that you know like they kind of only fall in love with their intended person who's going to be with them forever and so the idea that Dairon is romantically in love with Luthien seems a little strange given that information and we certainly don't want to put Luthien in the position of being like I'm totally, I'm going to marry Dairon. Like, he and I are, are intended. And then I see Baron, and oh my goodness, now I'm swept away. And uh, like, oh, my head says Dairon, but my heart says Baron. Like, we don't want Luthien in that position. Um, Please, for sure. no. Those yes. are terrible stories. <laughs> Those are terrible stories. Yes, I totally agree. Um, uh, so, yes. yeah, I think the, the unrequited thing works to an extent. Like, I, I understand what Nick's saying with how much pining did we want to put into Dairon's character right. um, because he might just come across looking a little whiny. Like, right. So I would, I would prefer that we portray him as someone who has very much accepted that Luthien's not into him. He knows that and has known that for a long time. And he's like, I'm fine. We're friends. And yeah, I love her, and she's amazing. And if she were interested in me, we'd be having I'm a not conversation. No, yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. But right, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think from that point of view, like he's resigned himself to the situation, and he accepts it mentally, and is like, yeah, of course, I, I know she's not into me, and I respect that, and right, I wish her all the right. best. I hope she's happy with her life. But meanwhile, we'll make music and dance in the woods, and everybody will be happy. Until she does fall in love. Right. That doesn't mean that he's enthusiastic about the scruffy looking human who stumbles into the woods. And yes, yes. Right. Because as her very close friend, he has some concerns here. Yeah. Yeah. As anyone would. plausible concerns. Yes. Right. Like, what are you doing? Right. (laughs) Please don't. Right. Right. And I'm, I, (laughs) 
remember when I said I was okay with, uh, like, not marrying you? Well, yes, but it turns out, actually, when push comes to shove, I'm not super okay with you marrying that loser, right, when it when it comes to it. So, yeah, I mean, I think there could be an element of that, too. We do have, so the, the one, um, the unrequited love situation that I'm, the, like, love triangle situation that comes to mind, my mind immediately is the abortive Galadriel uh, uh, Celebrimbor Celeborn love triangle um, that we get a reference to in Unfinished Tales? Uh, um, we get a speech from Celebrimbor uh, to Galadriel, right? Being like, hey, I know you weren't into me. You chose that other guy and whatever, but uh, we could have been great, but it's fine. Uh, anyway, here, take this shiny gem, right? Um, that I made for you. Uh, so. Like we know that that kind of thing can happen. Um, having Dairon, the thing that's not going to happen is the whole like. I don't see him having a like. If I can't have her, nobody else can have her. Kind of reaction, um, but he would, with brotherly concern, be alarmed about Baron and what was going on here. And has she in fact lost her mind? Right. Um, and it would certainly seem to him to be only prudent, right. Um, not to mention loyal, uh, to inform her father about this sketchy situation that is unfolding. Right. So isn't this something that you'd want to wait and think about for a couple hundred years before jumping into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think marriage with immortal is exactly at the top of the list of things you want to, you want to give a couple centuries of thought to before you jump into it for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, okay. So Dairon is an antagonist to their relationship, but he's a gent. He's not a, you know, jealousy crazed, irrational, antagonist to this situation. Um, nor is he a spurned lover, nor is she inconstant uh, in her affections, uh, you know, transferring them from Dairon to Baron. Okay, so what happens? Oh, and I agree with um, uh, Anthea there that um, she said, I'd like to see him try to talk to Luthien before going to her dad. Yeah, agreed. Totally. Totally. She doesn't. He doesn't just go and inform on her behind her back. Um, you know. Um, he tries to talk her out of it first. Yeah, he tries to talk her out of it, um, and then when she's having none of that, then he he th- th- there will come a point where he really has no choice but to but to tell her dad. Um, it would be faithless, disloyal in him as subject and as her friend, even right, not to yeah. tell her dad. I mean, humans are banned from Doriath, so... A law is being broken here. Yeah, yeah, he's not allowed to be there, regardless of whether or not Luthien likes the guy. (laughs) Right, right. This is a matter of national security here. And Um, and everything remembers what happened when Keligorm kept a big secret from Fingal. Not a good, not a good look. True, true. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, keeping secrets uh, that come out later, that gets awkward uh, in Doriath, so... Yes. Okay. So, so we can have Dairon be the Fink without uh, having him look like a horrible person. Um, okay. So, so far we're kind of preserving his 
Dairon's integrity. We're being very, uh, we're treating Dairon with kid gloves here, which is fine. I'm, I'm down with that. Um, where does he go? Where does he end up? So now he's going to, she leaves, she escapes from the tree, and she's off. Does he leave before or after the letter from Kelgorm arrives in Doria? He's going to leave, right? Well, this depends at what point we want to deviate from the story as written, so to speak. Um, the idea, of course, is that he's going to get concerned when Luthien is lost out in the wilderness, which happens after the fall of the Tower of Tulsirian, when the escaped prisoners return to Doria and tell right. the story of what happened there. Everyone's like, Luthien is in the wind, essentially. Um, right. And that's the point of which someone from Doriath could go look for her, presumably. Right, right. Um, and but is, in is fact, I'd be very surprised if that doesn't happen. If, right. If Thingle, I know the story doesn't mention it, but the idea that Thingle just sits in Doriath and doesn't send anybody out after it just seems bonkers to me. Well, especially right. given so that he question... does do that with, like in the Turin story, he sends multiple posses out to search for the lost people, but he doesn't ever do that for his own daughter it does seem strange i agree yeah so at at what point in that story does dyron go looking for her that's up to yeah we had talked about thingol wanting to go but being talked out of going himself this seems like the relevant point like if basically if dyron dyron would be the logical person to send like to i mean okay no Beleg is the logical person to send. <laughs> How about the competent one? <laughs> Maybe we try that. Uh, I could send my greatest warrior, I, or I could send my greatest woodsman, or I could send the minstrel. Um, yeah, okay. Come Who to think happens of it, this is to not be best friends close, with Luthien. Close to her, so if yeah. if anyone is going to convince her to return, Iron has a better chance than Mablung. Yes, Though he has a much worse chance than Beleg of finding her in the first place. Agreed. Um, yeah. The thing we got to make sure that we do, though, is if we send somebody out, especially a named character, if if Thingol is in Doriath sending out unnamed groups of rangers searching for Luthien, that doesn't have to pay off. Like, that's just a thing that he's doing in the background. But if we send a named character out after her, we kind of have to pay that off in some way. Right. And we just have to, like, it shouldn't be that hard to engineer something like that, but you kind of have to do something about that. So the, the, the searchers could find the people trying to return from Tulsarian and take them to safety in Doriath. Okay. If they the left return before of the, that. the return of the prisoners, right? Okay. Um, We're talking about the prison, the people who are escaping after um, the prisoners after um, Tolsirian's is destroyed. Broken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones that Luthien has released. Okay, those okay. prisoners. Because if someone's searching for Luthien, that those prisoners would have news of Luthien. So you could have a scene where they convey that news and the, bring them back to Doriath. The problem so is the trigger something. for it, right? Because okay, there's going to be... There are two potential triggers right. on the Doriath side, right? right. One is the and letter from Caligorm. Yeah, yeah, it's the later one. So you've got the letter from Caligorm. Um, now, it makes all kinds of sense to send Mablung there, right? Oh, yeah. 
like that's I want Mablung of the Heavy Hand going to negotiate that particular treaty, <laughs> right? That seems like just the thing. Um, uh, but then the second trigger would be the prisoners arriving from Talsirian, which is going to happen pretty soon afterwards, and would explain if Belag and Mablung are both on their way to Nargothrond or in Nargothrond, right? Um, news then, for, I mean, the Talsirian thing happens pretty quickly, right? I mean, she, you know, books it straight up there and then they come back. So, um, Dairon could be the only one left, like the only named character left that isn't Thingol in, in Doriath, essentially. Belag and Mablung are, are already, they were sent to Nargothrond, right? Um, and now there's just Dairon and Dairon's like, let me go. Let me, let me see if I can find her. Um, She's not like being held for ransom as she essentially was being before. So it's not the same kind of crisis management situation. Now she's just Nick, as you said, she, she's in the wind, right? Um, and may need help. So somebody to find her and try to help her and hopefully convince her to come home. That would be Thingol's desire. Would be convince her to come home, and Dairon would be best equipped to do that. The most likely to convince her to come home of her own free will. So I I gotta say that I find the Dairon goes out doesn't find Luthien but does find a bunch of of escaped prisoners and so he brings them back to Earth. I don't find that particularly satisfying as a payoff for that. Well, Be- and- because it doesn't it do- it doesn't actually pay off his leaving. I'm wondering if it could be engineered for him to come upon them after Baron has lost his hand. So I was thinking about that too. The pro um, yeah, I was thinking about that too, because the only other opportunity, that's the only other opportunity, right? Cause they're back to Doriath after Angband. Right. Um, right. He would either have to find them before they go to Angband or find them after Angband. But that's a, that's a, there's a really tight window. I mean, they get rescued right. by eagles, you know, um, and the eagles generally don't rescue people who have a big window <laughs> of opportunity yeah. for right. being saved, right? Um, yeah. So he'd have to be coming up right as they were, yeah. Well, how far are the eagles going to take them? Uh, presumably not Ooh. to Menegroth. Yeah. So, I mean, we know they fly over Gondolin, right? Yeah. Um, so... To the borders of Doriath, sure. The borders of like Doriath. The, but if the eagles are dropping them off in the borders of Doriath, and Dairon has been wandering around the region there, he could come up on them and help them back into Doriath. That is an if interesting suggestion. Him to run into them at that point in the story. It yeah. also it I also mean, gives. It's not like the girdle wasn't going to let them back in. Right. Right. So, but I mean, they're not exactly in great shape. Um, and it right. also gives a really interesting opportunity for Dairon, Baron, Luthien moments, right? With exactly. Baron, you know, without his hand, um, Dairon to help him. I mean, Dairon's going to have a different perspective, just as Thingol is going to have a different perspective on Baron and Luthien. So right. will Dairon at that point. Right. right. Dairon's saying, okay, let's take this guy back to Thingol's court. But right. for different reasons this time. But for different reasons, right? Exactly, yeah. Actually, that's really fun. I hadn't even thought of that parallel, yeah. right? Dairon, once yeah. again, like, uh, you know, uh, brings them back to Thingol's court. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, now, I, I do have a, a, a possible alternative to that, and that's, like, if I think about 
Dairon as Luthien's best friend. Yeah. Right? Dairon, when, when he finds out that she has escaped Nargothron, right? Dairon seems uniquely... Like, I feel like Dairon would assume that Luthien is going to get to Angband. And so that he himself right. makes a beeline there. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And all we have to do is having have him have one encounter with an eagle somewhere along the way, somewhere during the season... For him to be involved in the the eagles' rescue of them at Angband, because we aren't given any reason exactly why the eagles show up. I mean, apart from the fact that Thrandor is on top of things, right? Right. And, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, generally uh, yeah. on the ball, <laughs> but you don't just like request eagle lifts. Yeah. And oh. Diron doesn't know the eagles, so. You, 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 Maybe, yeah. maybe he doesn't. But, but um, that's I mean, what I'm we, saying. Like we, all he has to do is encounter like, them. Manway sends evil lips. Right. So. Yes. No. Exactly. Yes. You can't. You can't just. You can't just arrange for that. Right. But. Yeah. Um, but I think it's workable. Again, he doesn't I'm have to specifically call them either. Like right. it, all he has to do is call out for help in some way. You know, all we would need is a like him. Like basically, he would just have to tell Thorondor the story. Like he just tips off Thorondor of what's going down. Basically, all, right. all we need to do is get him to meet an eagle, right? To whom he can tell the story of what what he's doing, where he's going, why he's wandering around oh yeah i'm looking for luthien she they're totally an angband uh they're probably going to be in desperate trouble and then thorondor hears about it and then he having checked in with you know the boss takes unilateral action so dyron isn't yeah it's not like he's right dyron would have to be expressing his fears of what's going to happen to luthien once she gets to angband and his is a reasonable fear his convictions and Nick, I do like that. That that's my favorite part of this is that Dairon, everyone else, in, or most everybody else, Thingol anyway, they're all worried because Luthien is on the loose and likely to come to harm. Right? Oh man, Morgoth is hunting high and low for her, which he is right at this point. Morgoth is hunting high and low for her. Um, she's going to get into trouble, um, and Dairon is the only one who's like, she's going to Angband. And she's totally going to make it there, right? Like this is right. this is happening, right? This is not this is not what if she gets caught in the wild. This is what's going to happen when she gets to Angband and takes the Silmaril because right. I know Luthien. That's going to happen, right? Right. So, um, so he's the only one. So, like you know, they're all like, okay, we must like, you know. Uh, set up quadrants and like search for her here and there, and he's like, "I'm right, not searching. Yeah. I know where she's going to be. She's going to hang right. and, and I'm right. headed there." Yeah, yeah. Right. And and it, it, one of the things that I really like, like it, it's it's it is kind of sweet that he actually has more confidence in her than Baron does. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not, right, right, right. Like, right. like Baron's like, no, no, no. It's too dangerous. You stay here. I'll go right. get myself murdered. Right. <laughs> right. 
Yes, exactly. No, I like uh, JJ says it sounds kind of like everybody searching for Frodo and only Sam running straight yes. back to the boats where he knows he's going to be. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because exactly. Diron is her Sam. Diron is her Sam. Diron knows her better than anybody else. Um, he's not. It's not a precise parallel. Uh, in fact, it's ironic because of Sam and Frodo being parallels to Baron Luthien. Sam anyway, betrays yeah. Frodo's confidence to Frodo and Pippin. To. Wait, to Mary and Pippin? To Mary and Pippin. Yeah, Pippin. that's yeah, what I meant. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. Though it was, uh, you know, before he was infenestrated and uh, brought into the thing. But anyway, whatever. Point is, yes, I like that. I mean, I, I do like that. Um, and this also is a reason to separate him from everybody else. Like, we don't even need to have... Like, Beleg could be organizing a very efficient search, right? Um but he's not looking in the right place because he doesn't know Luthien like Dairon knows Luthien. Just as it's not Aragorn who finds Frodo, it's Sam who finds Frodo, right? Um, uh, so, um, so yeah, I, I think um, um, I think that that's really interesting. Okay, yeah, no, so that that's 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 really cool. I like that a lot. Um, then all, again, all we have to do, um, and somebody who is it? Um, oh yeah, um, Anthea was talking about the. This sort of the 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 eagle parallel with uh, with with Fingen, of course, right? Fingen singing a song and uh, you know praying to man, you know that so there is a him expressing his distress and that being heard, right? Man, way to whom all birds are dear, yeah, exactly. So all we 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 could have a, not a identical, obviously, but a kind of a parallel situation. All we would have to have is Dairon. If Dairon is going to make a beeline, there is no beeline to Angband from Doriath. <laughs> like you, you can't get this. You can't get there in a straight line, right? But in any direction he goes, he's going to be near the Crusagrim, right? So we could have him sneaking around through the pass of Talsirian under the mountains, right? And we have Dairon singing a song. It's what as like he does, right? Um, and he would be singing a song. He would be. Um, because he'd know that Luthien was ahead of him, right? He'd know that Luthien was um, was going to get there first. He's afraid he's not going to get there in time. He knows that she needs help, and that she's going to she, that she's going to she's going to get. And so he's singing, and the all the eagles have to do is hear him, like they do. Like you know, he he doesn't even be singing to an eagle, right? It's not like he's sending a moth to the eagle to 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 summon them, right? His song could be a you know, a song sung essentially to Manway and Manway hears we know that Manway has mercy on account of the eagles come to pick them up right so that means that uh, Manway is going to get involved I, I think if we kind of signal that a little bit there, that's would be no bad thing actually because um, it's super understated in the text um, and right. in fact if we did it right we could be helping to undermine the whole eagle as taxi transportation concept um um, so if so yeah if we just we just have dairon on the way to angband but not at angband yet singing a song uh uh you know an intercessory song uh right about how luthien needs help uh and how worried he is about her and that song being heard and then we just show like the rondor Right, you know, spreading his wings in his eyrie, and then when he shows up, it's not like, oh, how convenient! An eagle for some reason shows up to rescue them. Now we know why that has happened, and having Dairon be instrumental to that, I think that's, um, 
uh, really interesting, right? I mean, I think that that's uh, that's a fascinating. I'd never imagined that role for Dairon, but I like that. That's that. That's a really great payoff for Dairon. And by the way, also enables us to leave him in limbo. Yeah. Right. If he's setting out for Angband and he's not getting to Angband, but we just see him interceding, and then the Eagles go, and we don't hear from him again. Right. He can disappear if we want to disappear him for a while. We don't have yeah. to. I mean, I don't like how he just vanishes, and then I mean, lack of payoff is why I dislike the Dairon story in the text because right. we don't get the Dairon payoff and I want right. some Dairon payoff um, and it's fine like I'm not blaming Tolkien it's not Dairon's story right so Dairon gets a sentence and then I'm I, I, it's okay um, but we we have more time so let's 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 pay him off a little bit more but we don't have to do it right away he can vanish he yeah. can vanish um, yeah and we don't have to bring him back until next season or the season after that or something if we yeah. didn't want to because yeah. the rest of the the timeline of the rest of the season is pretty short right and and one and one of the things that I like about doing Dairon in this way is that it allows us to send other named characters out of Doriath and even if their mission none of their missions pan out the very fact that Dairon knew something that they didn't and his mission does eh, kind of pay off the viewer will know that pays it, off that their stuff works. too. Yeah. yeah, right. Agreed. Narratively. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the help coming from Doriath did something, right? Uh, yeah. Like it, some, something was accomplished by that. Um, yeah. Other than a tense standoff between Mablung and <laughs> Kelakor or whatever, uh, or Oradreth, yeah. you know, when he when he when he shows up. Um, but um, okay. Uh, so yeah, later on, I think we can, that means we can postpone deciding Dairon's later fate, can't we? Um, yeah. There were a whole bunch of suggestions involving, especially involving Dairon and the second kinslaying in Doriath, um, which I like. I like a lot. And one of the reasons I like that a lot is that we're starting to run low on named Doriath characters by then. Yes. Um, so having somebody, having some more folks around. Um, and by then it's going to feel almost like, well, it is going to be exactly like the whole next generation, right? So Dairon is going to be one of the like crusty old guard at that point. And so it puts him in a very, now he's, he's, he's junior varsity in the, in the, in the Doriath team, right? I mean, there's no question. He is not on the same level as Mablung or Beleg or Celeborn, right? In the Doriath uh, hierarchy here. But when Dior comes back, Dairon is going to be like uncle Dairon right to Dior when, when, when Dior comes in. So, um, uh, he's going to be in a very different, he's going to be the elder statesman, um, you know, in Dairon's court or Dior's court. Sorry. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's, I, yeah. I, I, the I uncle Iroh of, uh, of Doriath. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, um, uh, I think that he, um, he, there's a lot of, stuff that he can do there. I don't think we need to send him the, the, the hardest time I've always had. It's not just a lack of payoff. It's that I'm pretty good at suspending disbelief, but of course 
one of the things that I always really appreciated, when the first time I read on fairy stories and I got to the place where Tolkien talks about the difference between secondary belief and the suspension of, the willing suspension of disbelief, right? And Tolkien saying, look, if you get to the place where you are willingly suspending disbelief, the art has failed, right? And I'm not usually, I, I, you know, I, I don't usually find myself in a mirror, I'm, I have to suspend disbelief. Again, I'm good at suspending disbelief. I can sus- suspend disbelief uh, uh, as well as anybody I know. I can go along with a really implausible plot uh, quite cheerfully uh, for quite some time. Um, however, that I always felt. Um, I always felt the Dairon story to be a place where I was suspending disbelief. Because um, I have a hard time investing true secondary belief in the idea that Dairon just went off and was like never even checked in, like he seriously, like unless something prevented him, why on earth would he never ha- like? So he's like, I'm searching for Luthien, but I'm going to transform that into a one-way trip that I just like. I, I I never got it. It never made sense to me. It was just. It was not. I'm not saying that there can't be stories that could be invented that could explain that. You can explain that in various ways, but um, but I, I I found it hard. I always found it that sentence difficult to accept. I had to do work, imaginative work on my own, to wrap my mind around why the story would happen that way. So uh, anyway, that's why I'm 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 really glad to come back and spend some time since Tolkien made me use my imagination about Dairon anyway well we're going to use our imaginations about Dairon <laughs> so there we go and Tolkien has nobody to blame but himself <laughs> for the fact that we're doing that um, okay well cool I, 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 that's, that's great that's great and we can and this is me being restrained and not talking about uh, Dairon's later fate because that's like a season nine question or something like yeah. that. But I, I do like the idea of keeping him around because we'll have options of what to do with him later. And yeah. um, even the suggestion that he's the one who writes the lay of Lathian. If we keep him around, he can do that, but he yeah. would need to witness the end of the story to be the author of it. And if yeah. it's not him, then who wrote it? And wouldn't it be nice to have the greatest minstrel of Doriath? the author of the lay of Lathian. Absolutely. I love that. Someone who loves Luthien has her point of view in the whole story. Like, yeah, of course, but only if, only if we can bring him around to having some peace with what happens. Absolutely. There has to be some resolution there. Not just that he has to know the end of the story, as you say, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that what we've set up here would still leave that as an open possibility and, and the other stuff with, the future of Doriath or the second or the third Kinslang or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He can still be falling around Luthien's kids and grandkids. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I find that quite charming actually. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> David is suggesting we kill off Dairon at exactly the point where the lay, lay of Lathian poem ends. <laughs> That's an awesome suggestion. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it would be hard. Uh, it would be hard because it's right at the like 
we're getting ready to return to Doriath, basically, is is when it ends. That's right after... Um, I mean, we'd have to have, like, Karkaroth kill him, basically, is kind of what we'd have to do to make it fit with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. That, that's, that's, that is hilarious. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Okay, anyway, uh, that's a funny suggestion. But I still like... I still like keeping them alive. Um, okay. We're about out of time. Let's just glance at the overview here, and then we can pick up the rest of the stuff next time. So the overview of episodes four through seven. So episode four is our Doriath bottle episode. Um, that's the Tenuviel episode. Um, ending with Baron leaving. The incarceration in Herolorn is going to happen in episode five, Right. So at the same time that that's happening, we're getting Baron in Nargothrond and Finrod is... So, end of episode five, Finrod and Baron are setting out from Nargothrond, right? With their 12 companions, right? And Luthien is imprisoned in the tree and Kelgorm and Kurafin are smiling quietly to themselves, watching Finrod leave, planning the full usurpation, which will come later on. Um, And we have the Sauron and Thuringwethel squabble, right? We probably have Luthien escape the treehouse in episode five. Right, yeah, that would make sense. So, like, that would be her conclusion. that would be the end, right? Okay, right. So we have the whole the whole tree drama uh, in episode five. Okay, yep. That gives her not just a single static point in uh, uh, in episode five. Okay, so then episode six um, ends with the capture of Finrod and Baron, right? So we end episode six with them in prison, um, and Luthien in prison. In Nargothrond, and Kelagorm and Kurufin beginning to develop their wicked scheme to A, usurp Nargothrond, and B, um, marry Luthien off to Kelagorm. Okay, that seems to work. Now, you have a question there with Thurin Gwethel, because if we bring in Thurin Gwethel in episode 5, if we don't bring in Thurin Gwethel and have the... Um, her perception of Sauron's betrayal of her, then, um, then we don't get anything from Sauron at all until we show up in episode six. And I don't think we want to have the conflict between Sauron and Thorin Gwethel in the same episode as we have the conflict between Sauron and, and Finrod, right? He, Sauron needs to be pretty clearly established as the, he will have, you know, pushed back the attack from beneath, right, from Thorin Gwethel, um, and asserted his authority. All we would need, if we're going to have Thorin Gwethel, how do we establish Thorin Gwethel's plan to try to break into the uh, pot of evil? We're going to have her executing that plan in seven, right? What was that, Nick? Without her talking about it to somebody, I don't see how you could. So unless she just sits there and pontificates about her ev- her double evil, 
you just give her a soliloquy. How hard plan. is that? Right. 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 <laughs> right. So we do to need the to lady have... of secrets. <laughs> we have to have some conflict between Theringwethel and Saren. So if we put it in five, then the audience knows that she wants what's in the pot of evil, and Saren doesn't want to share. Yeah. So yeah. she would have made whatever her argument was to Sauron at that point. In five. Yeah. Right. And when she doesn't get what she wants, we don't know what her next move is. But once she makes her next move, it'll be like, ah, this is because. So presumably where she's going to be in her own little story arc in episode six is she's going to she would dissemble because she's throwing Gwethel and that's what she does. Right. So by the end of episode five, she has decided that Sauron has betrayed her and she's going to get her own back. Right. So she is she is now by the end of episode five, she has decided she is going to be Sauron's enemy. Basically, she's going to try to seize the power for herself. But in episode six, we will see her apparently acting her like normal supporting role. Like she can be physically present during the song battle. Right. Um, and actually, that could be an interesting way for us to show where she is. Right. Um, because she could be looking on. All we have to do is show her being like interested and excited by the fact that it looks like Finrod might possibly win. Right. Um, because it's not going to the song battle is going to go all Sauron's way all the time. Right. Um so all we have to do is show her be like interested and like maybe a little cheerful when when things appear to, you know, are going Finrod's way and then he loses and then she's like oh okay well okay I thought there might be an opportunity there but uh, uh, n- no opportunity after all. Um, See, I'm having I'm having trouble with the idea that. D- after everything that Sauron and Thurngwethel have been through, that she would rather see Finrod defeat Sauron in a song duel, right? Like, it, I, I feel like enemies, like like actual, be, her and Sauron being actual enemies, it's it's a it's a it seems like it would be very difficult to get their rivals. I could see. Right. right. No, all I mean, and if we that... had been setting up a rivalry up until this point, then, then maybe enmity could be a step that we could go to here. But I, it's, it seems I'm a little leery of going that far that quickly. All I'm, all I'm saying is that she would see a potential opportunity for her here to get her own back um, one way or another. I mean, I don't think she would necessarily believe that Sauron is going to mop the, or that Thingol's, or, or Finrod's going to mop the floor with Sauron, right? Um, or that he's going to be destroyed and banished or something like that. But if he's weakened, if she, I mean, like, I don't know. Do we need to show anything? Is I guess where I'm thinking is that we know that they've had a disagreement. We know what yeah. she wants out of the situation and that she's been denied. And yeah, so let's say she sticks around business as usual all through this next episode. It'll be like, oh, I guess they got over that or maybe that'll come back later. And then the very first opportunity she has, she tries to steal the souls herself. And that shows what she was doing about it. Like 
she kept doing her own thing. She's not anti-Sauron, but she right. does want those souls. Yeah, and she, she does will want disobey him herself. to get. Yeah. She, she'll disobey him to get access to that power. Right. Well, I want to think through a little bit more. I'm still feeling a little fuzzy in my head, anyway, about exactly what she's trying to do, like what her plan is, precisely. We were a little vague about that, like that she's trying to steal things for herself, uh, steal the power for herself in some way or other, um, and therefore puts herself at crown zero uh, when the power is released. Um, That I'm still fine with. Um, But um, yeah, I guess I was just thinking of ways in which, because we don't want to give her, it doesn't make sense for her to have any interlocutors. Um, Nick is exactly what I'm thinking. Like if we wanted to do any work to show what she's thinking that she's, you know, just to, cause we're not going to get like, she's not going to be on screen for a whole lot of time, you know, in all of these episodes put together. Right. So being able to kind of, uh, we could have opportunities to communicate this if we need to make sure that folks are getting it without her, um, talking about it aloud. But anyway, we can we can kind of work that out. We'll we'll get there when we talk about episode seven for sure. Um, okay, then we've got yeah, episode seven. Towers blow up. Um, Kelgorm writes to Doriath after she leaves. Yeah, I don't think that's workable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that square is just kind of there. Um, right. The, there's a couple issues that we were going to have her not know about the uh, proposal going into the letter. Yeah. 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 So I'm not sure at what point we're revealing to the audience that that's the plan. Like, I know that the audience is going to see Curfin and Kellogg plotting things that Luthien doesn't know. Right. But I didn't know where and how that was going to happen. And who the messenger to Doriath is going to be like, there's a, there's a few question marks all around that whole thing. Thingle won't get the letter until after she's left. Mm -hmm. But I assume it was going to be sent before. There's another thing about this that um, I'm a little concerned about and, and we can either work this out another time or we just leave it as a challenge for episode seven. And that's putting Finrod's death and Luthien's destruction of the tower in the same episode smacks of having two episodes in one episode. Um, but it's not an insurmountable song duel with Sauron and then the werewolf eating his face in the same episode is just as bad. It's similar, right? Right, and, and that's like looking at this. There's no simple, easy way out of that situation. Um, it's just something that we may want to kind of. Uh, kind of be aware of um i think that that the nice thing is that fighting the werewolf and dying is finrod's only job in episode seven so it's not like he's doing multiple things in episode seven he just does the one thing setting up therefore the beautiful tableau of baron holding his dead body when Luthien comes to rescue him, right? Right. Um, I mean, and if it happens like that, then sure. I just, like, I want us to be aware of the fact that not putting Finrod's death 
um, like putting a lot of space between Finrod's death and the end of the episode does diminish his death, and we should kind of be aware of that 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 would happen yeah. if if we're not careful here. Yeah, yeah, um, yes, I agree. There's a lot going on in episode seven. I mean, this is a this is a huge action packed episode, and there's going to be a lot to do. And I think. Um, we're going to need to not do anything in Nargothrond in episode seven, I think, because there's just not going to be time. Everything will be like episode seven will be like the Tulsirian bottle episode, <laughs> essentially, where everything we only get things that are happening at Tulsirian. And then we resume with the political intrigue in episode eight, um, <clears throat> right at the beginning of episode eight. Uh, OK, yeah. All right. So we'll think about how that works. I think we can do Thingol's death in there the biggest challenge is going to be the juxtaposition of Huon fighting wolves at the same time that uh, Finrod is fighting wolves. This is going to be happening simultaneously, basically, right? Um, there's a lot of wolves being fought in this episode, um, which is a wonderful transition into what we will start with next time, which is Sauron's duels. And... Um, all of the wolf fighting that is happening. So many wolves fought and overcome in three in one episode. Draugluin, where you know, prison werewolf, Draug, nameless prison werewolf, Draugluin, and um, uh, wolf Sauron as well. So, how do we? What do we do? How do we? This is well, it's, it's a lot, lot of wolf. wolf fighting. It's a lot of wolf fighting going on here, um, <laughs> uh, and that's the uh, pared down version so far. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. That's a, that's a, it's, a, it's if we only show one wolf attack in the prison, right? Um, so, anyway, um, we'll 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 talk. And about if this we next show time. only one wolf attacking Huan, because. You know, Drogluin wasn't supposed to be the first wolf out the gate there. Right. True. So, yeah, yeah there's a lot of wolves. I mean, it's, it's the Isle of Werewolves. It's the Isle but. of Werewolves, right? I mean, sure. Like, you know, we can have plenty of wolves. But um, um, but anyway, yeah, I'd, I'd, I kind of think dogfights are going to get tedious uh, by the end of this episode if we're not really careful. Um uh, so anyway, uh, okay. So we'll 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 discuss that issue uh, at the beginning of next time, and then we're going to continue. So we'll, we'll 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 look at especially at the transition also into seven and eight. How we're going to resume uh, this next segment actually is going to be really challenging. I think um, not only uh, transitioning from this back into the political stuff with Kelligorm and Kurafin, um, leading to Baron's Leap and stuff, but then also that sequence with the I'm going to go by myself, honey, you stay behind. How are we going to manage that? And what's going to happen there? And where is that going to fit? How's that going to line up with the other things? Um, and then we get to um, and then we get to Angband. So we'll be looking at the basically from Tulsirian to Angband uh, next time and we'll start with the uh, how do we how do we streamline the wolf issues uh, there in episode seven? So awesome! Uh, I, with that, we'll let everybody go. Um, our next session is going to be a Thursday, April seventh. Um, so we continue in not having to cancel episodes, which has been pretty cool. Um, so thank you, everybody. 
awesome work here today. This was some. I love the Hero Lauren stuff. I'm loving this. The thing that I love most about season six so far is the kind of the the shit. The way it's just it just it keeps like doing itself. Like all of these parallels and foreshadowings and everything that we're able to do. It just like the the whole uh, escape from bondage theme just keeps rolling itself out in these really logical and compelling ways, which I think is really really awesome. So anyway, thank you guys uh, for, uh, for joining me and for your contributions. Thanks everybody who's uh, been listening here this evening. And I will say as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.